Greetings, folk. My name is Nick Small Engel, and today I'm going to be reading out of a book by Saint Augustine entitled "The City of God." It's basically a tome. It's hundreds of pages long. In fact, it is one thousand and ninety something pages long. Um, and Augustine lived about. 400 years after Christ. Let me read the uh, Pelican Classics introduction. Augustine, City of God. St. Augustine of Hippo, the great doctor of the Latin Church, was born at Thagaste, I don't know if I'm saying it correctly, in North Africa in AD 354. The son of a pagan father and a Christian mother. He was, I think his mother's name was Monica. He was brought up as a Christian and at the age of 16 went to Carthage to finish his education for the law. Nelson Mandela spoke about the city of Carthage as well. In 375, on reading Cicero's Hortensius, he became, he became deeply interested in philosophy. He was converted to the Manic religion some of whose tenets he continued to hold after he had founded his own school of rhetoric at Rome in 383 at Milan he was offered a professorship and came under the influence both of Neoplatonism and of the preaching of Saint Ambrose. After agonizing inward conflict, he renounced all his unorthodox beliefs and was baptized in 387. He now returned to Africa and formed his own community. But in 391, he was ordained priest against his wishes and five years later was chosen Bishop of Hippo. For 34 years, St. Augustine lived in community with his cathedral clergy. His written output was vast. There survive 113 books and treatises, over 200 letters, and more than 500 sermons. Two of his longest works, his Confessions and City of God, have made an abiding mark not only on Christian theology, but on the psychology and political philosophy of the West since the Dark Ages. He died in 430 as invading vandals were besieging Hippo. St. Augustine's Book 1 of the City of God Preface The Purpose and Argument of this Work Here, my dear Marcellinus, is the fulfillment of my promise, a book in which I have taken upon myself the task of defending the glorious City of God against those who prefer their own gods to the founder of of that city.
I treat of it both as it exists in this world of time. A stranger among the ungodly, living by faith, and as it stands in the security of its everlasting seat. This security it now awaits in steadfast patience until justice returns to judgment. Quote unquote. But it is to attain it hereafter in virtue of its ascendancy over its enemies, when the final victory is won and peace established. The task is long and arduous, but God is our helper. I know how great is the effort needed to convince the proud of the power and excellence of humility. An excellence which makes it soar above all the summits of this world, which sway in their temporal instability, overtopping them all with an eminence not arrogated by human pride, but granted by divine grace. For the king and founder of the city, which is our subject, has revealed in the scripture of his people this statement of the divine law. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. This is God's prerogative, but man's arrogant spirit in its swelling pride has claimed it as its own and delights to hear this verse quoted to its own praise. To spare the conquered and beat down the proud. Therefore I cannot refrain from speaking about the city of this world, a city which aims at dominion, which holds nations in enslavement, but is itself dominated by that very lust of domination. I must consider this city as far as the scheme of this work demands and as occasion serves. Number one, the enemies of Christianity were spared by the barbarians at the sack of Rome out of respect for Christ. From this world's city there arise enemies against whom the city of God has to be defended. Though many of these correct their godless errors and become useful citizens of that city. But many are inflamed with hate against it and feel no gratitude for the benefits offered by its Redeemer. The benefits are unmistakable whose enemies would not today be able to utter a word against the city if, when fleeing from the sword of their enemy, they had not found in the city's holy places the safety on which they now congratulate themselves. The barbarians spared them for Christ's sake, and now these Romans assail Christ's name. The sacred places of the martyrs and the basilicas of the apostles bear witness to this. For in the sack of Rome they afforded shelter to fugitives, both Christian and pagan. The bloodthirsty enemy raged thus far, 
but here the frenzy of butchery was checked. To these refugees, sorry, to these refuges, the merciful among the enemy conveyed those whom they had spared outside to save them from encountering foes who had no such pity. Even men who elsewhere raged with all the savagery an enemy can show arrived at places where practices generally allowed by laws of war were forbidden, and their monstrous passion for violence was brought to a sudden halt. Their lust for taking captives was subdued. <laughs>